welcome. We're up to episode 31 of a Thai football podcast with me, Dale Farrington. And me, Rob Bernard. How are you this week, Rob? Yeah, I'm not so bad, Dale. I had a good day out yesterday uh, in Surin, which was a bit longer than I anticipated. And uh, today's been a bit of a recovery process, but we had a great time, thanks. Probably the shock of seeing four goals, was it? Oh, Dale, there was four goals, but I've got to tell you, it was awful. I know I sound like a mourner, but it was awful. We are going to hear about it in a couple of minutes. So keep your powder dry and we'll listen yeah. to the report together. So have you been up to anything else? Seen any more games? I've been watching the Asian Cup. Yeah, it's been fantastic. I know I'm going to sound very old here, but the, the later games are a bit too late for me. But the, the 6.30 games have been fantastic. I've been watching them with my, my wife's cousin and a 90-year-old aunt, 80-year-old auntie, sorry, who've been visiting us from uh, Bangkok. She's gone back now. Every day at 6.30, she'd be waiting what game is on now. It was wonderful. And stayed up stayed up for the two Thai games. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, what I've noticed is the Thailand national team does tend to bring everybody together like that. Yeah, I'll comment on that a bit later when we, we go over it a bit more. The one thing that I have been massively impressed with with that tournament is the refereeing. No problems with refereeing or VAR, which proves our point. It's the people that implement it. OK, no doubt we'll touch on that a bit later. But we're going to start with your roving report, which you had to actually rove somewhere different, didn't you? Because they changed the venue. But we're going to hear about that now. So we're going to start this week's programme with Rob's roving report from T3 Northeast. Rob's roving report. So, yes, welcome to the Sri Narong Stadium in Surindale. And a change of venues. Um, it's Surin Country Mall this afternoon up against Seasicket United. Disposed from the top of the table last night by Maris Arakem following their 2 1 win at Conkin. And a change of venue because the usual University Stadium down the road out of commission. So Serene Conchimol using the venue of neighbours Serene City. I apologise for the noise. The speakers are booming out. I hope you can hear me. Serene Conchimol second from bottom. Cicicet United second from the top. Yes, the three run our wrong stadium uh, being used today by uh, Serene Conchimol. Uh, it's the closer one to, to the city centre. They're charging 60 baht admission today. Very easy to get to by uh, transport from town. There's lots of tuk-tuks about or grab taxis. Hope the game's a little bit better than the service in the restaurant before the game. Despite its beautiful appearance and uh, location, service a little bit on the shabby side. I won't name and shame them because these things happen. And there's worse places to be waiting for a meal. So let's see what today's match brings. Seasicket United, obviously hot favourites. Uh, their new signing from Cameroon playing up front to replace one of the Jettison Brazilians. Yes, Dale, as the teams head down the tunnel at half time, score here is Serena Kunchimol nil, Seasicket United 1. A shocking half of football. I'm sorry I sound like a scratch record, but it was awful. The hosts. Not a very good team, and I'm being flattering. Yet they hit the post, the glancing header came back off the foot of the post, and then Cicicet keeper Adisak nearly spilt a long-range free kick into his own net. For the visitors, new signing and begging. Free header, five yards out, anywhere but the keeper, and of course he found his mitts. 
Panagatsi showed that once again he's a very good player but he can't kick with his right foot. Hence him being a T3 player. He had a great chance but he didn't get his shot away because it wasn't on his left peg. Then uh, to epitomise the half, as the board was going up for additional time, hopeless free kick really into the area, spilled by the country mall keeper. Debutant and Beggin made no mistake, putting into an empty net from five yards. So 1-0 to the visitors at half time. I'm glad the whistle's blown, it gives me an excuse to leave the ground and go and get some beer. That'll be the highlight for me. See how the second half goes. 2-0 Dale, the number five for Conchimol. Good imitation of Hightower from uh, Police Academy, a mistake in him with every touch. Tried to play it back, Danilo nipped in, finished with a plomb, 2-0. Good news is that we've managed to reserve a table for the football in a bar tonight, so we can cheer Thailand on. Well, we're around 15 minutes to go, Dale. It's 3-0 now to see Saket. The coach summing up his entire philosophy. And Beggins had a fine game, so he's taken him off. As it happens, a, an attack was constructed. Danilo finished off. That's his second of the game. 3-0 around 15 minutes to go. 4-0 Dale, and a fine move put together, believe it or not. Keeper in a different zip code coming out of his area, lobbed. Nice finish, 4-0. They've just announced the attendance at 86. I like taking back to the old days of watching Scarborough. We reckon about 250. So full-time Dale, I hope you can hear me above the helicopter because the PA man is bound to kick off in a minute. Last few minutes. Conchimol somehow kept at bay, good save by the keeper and then a block on the line. At the other end, Cicicet, clean through, somehow tried to square it to his teammate, one of the forwards. He couldn't have been more inaccurate if he tried. 4-0 in the end, not a great game, but I suppose it's the score that counts. We'll call it a day that my friend is just about to kick off, as I thought. We're going to the pub, and then we're going to go and watch the Thai game in a Thai bar. 4-0 to see again. I know it didn't sound so great. The Bobbly Pitch, typical athletic stadium, and a, a bit of a blow really been moving the venue. I was hoping to take another new ground off, but an excuse to go through to Conchimol next year. Presuming they don't go down, of course. It's interesting, isn't it, in T3? Cicicet United, we've we've talked about them many times before and now it looks like they're going to make the playoffs. I think that's pretty nailed on, isn't it? You'd say them in Mars Arakam. I watched some of the Mars Arakam against Conken game on Saturday on Facebook and I have to say they did look good. And they came from behind, didn't they? Conken were leading at one point. That's right, yeah. But very professional, the way they saw the game out. It was like a team of a higher status. So do you know when those two meet each other? Cesar kept playing Marisarikam the very last game of the regular season. How does it work in T3, Rob? Is it just the top two get into the playoffs? That's correct. Yes. And although you're both in it, you get an extra home game if you're the top side in the playoff round. There's five games and you get three at home. So that could really be the only thing riding on that last league game then, who gets home advantage in the playoffs. I mean, it's not nailed on yet, you know. There's a lot of twists and turns yet. I don't think they're particularly competent, if I'm honest. But Maris Arakam did impress me on Saturday, yeah. If I was a Cicicet diehard, I would be a little bit concerned by that. We're reporting on it over the course of the season, and hopefully in a couple of weeks I'll be able to get to one of the games. Well, that'd be good, yeah. 
T2, talking about twists and turns, there were a few twists and turns over the weekend in T2. And we were saying last week how tight it is at the top, and it's just got even tighter, hasn't it? It has, yeah. Uh, Chiang Mai defeating Nong Bua. And uh, Nakonrachi Seema taking full advantage of it. Yeah, a good win. Two late goals for the SWAT cat. Giving them a 2 0 win. And Chiang Mai, that was a huge win, wasn't it, against my promotion favourites, Nong Bua? I think they needed that to keep them in the race. I think if they'd have, if they'd have lost that, even though it is early days, there's been quite a gap then opening up. But they've kept it now. I think they're two points away from third place, aren't they? There are. I mean, reading between the lines from uh, some of the Ferran coverage, um, it's been a strange season at Chiang Mai. Comings and goings and coaches and players. They've released David Cuever, who I think is an absolute gem of a player at that level. I did see a photograph of him on Twitter with... One of our regular contributors, Phil. And talking of Phil, Phil was at the Chiang Mai United versus Samutbrakan City game on the Saturday in that vast stadium. And there were only a, a couple of dozen people in there. It did did look a bit odd, didn't it? Did you see the photographs he posted? No, I'll be looking at those later. Well, he, he did put some photographs up. And like I say, it was this cavernous great ground with like a couple of dozen people. They weren't even huddled together. They were spread out. So it, it wasn't a good look, really. I think this brings up the issue again, doesn't it, of suitability of grounds and what you were saying about clubs in big cities maybe combining and becoming a bit more bit more of a force to be reckoned with. Is that something that you think we should touch on again? It's very difficult, isn't it? Because it's a battle of egos between the owners. They're not going to want to cede their control over their own little project. It's a shame, really, for the fans. It's the fans that uh, don't enjoy it. I mean, I've been in the big stadium out there at Chiang Mai with only two or 3,000 in and you feel lost. So crowds in the hundreds, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? The ground that Chiang Mai moved to from there in town's a bit better. It's a typical municipal stadium. The away fans, I have to say, are in a little block right at the far end of the curve under some trees. It's probably the worst away section I've ever seen. It's the old problem, isn't it, with the curved stadiums? I think some at Prakan have shown, and, and even Nutaitani this year have shown the way, with the temporary stands on the on the actual curve so fans are behind the goal. That does seem to be the way forward. And I've noticed this week, and I, th- I think it's because of Phil, obviously he's got a lot of followers and quite a high profile on Twitter. People will ask him questions. People who, who aren't necessarily interested in Thai football or don't go to games. The thorny old subject of running tracks has come up. I'm kind of split on this. I can understand. Now, if you're behind the goal at one of these grounds, and it's, it's true at Chambury, you're a long way from the action. You feel divorced from it. You don't have a great view. But if you're at the sides... You don't actually notice there is a running track there. Where I sit at Chambury, second tier of the main stand, I mean, it's, it's as good a view as any in, in the Thai league or any football ground, really. I think it just needs somebody to show a bit of initiative. And as you say, the temporary stand is probably one way. Maybe putting the visiting supporters down the side would be another way of improving the atmosphere. I mean, I, I don't know what you think about this, Rob. It's just that I think sometimes running tracks get a bit of a bad rep to be honest. Well, you understand, Dale, that football here is not that important. I know we're passionate about it, but these venues, they're used by hundreds of people every week. They go there at five and six o'clock at night to do their exercise running around the track. It's not just a football ground. And I know people say, oh, they should build this and build that. Where's the money? 
You're not going to get your money from 100 baht admission. We're still waiting for the Chambery purpose-built stadium that we were promised in 2008. So that's that's a good point. I mean, they are public facilities, aren't they, a lot of the grounds? And it is good to see them being used. Yeah, the big clubs have got the money. Obviously, have got the purpose-built football stadium. But some of the comments I read, the thoughts of a T3 club building a, a rectangular stadium. A, where's the money? And B, where's the land? Well-intentioned, <laughs> these comments. But as, oh. you, as you say, the practicalities just completely outweigh everything else, don't they? And money being yeah. the big issue. And there's just not the interest. Let's be honest. We're mad about it. But look at the T2 crowds. You know, they're just nothing, are they? They're... I mean, some of the T1 ones aren't brilliant, but we've got to be realistic about it. That's it. We're probably as high as we're going to get. Another comment I saw on Twitter this week, someone was asking, you know, why don't teams want to go up? We had the whole customs thing, didn't we, last season? And it is mainly costs, isn't it? Or having to move because a lot of the grounds wouldn't pass the necessary tests to host T1 football. I think things get a lot stricter, don't they, in the top flight, which is why a lot of clubs just don't want to go up. They can't afford to make the improvements. I, th- I think it's very similar to the English pyramid as well. There's a growing number there of clubs that you'd term participation clubs rather than clubs for fans, such as the university teams, you know, as in, we covered that last week. It is different and it's very silly to compare. It's the quickest quickest form of disappointment is comparing it to the West. Anyway, on, on a related note, I suppose, talking about stadiums, I did have someone ask me this week, and it was it's some, something to ask you, and I, I appreciate I'm landing this on you at the last minute, Rob, but I've only just remembered. <laughs> Somebody said, what would be the furthest Rob would travel to watch a game? Presumably as a neutral. Well, I'll be straight with you. Now I'm a married man. If we're having an overnight stop, it's got to be somewhere of beauty and attractions where my wife wants to visit with me. Before, no problem. I'll go anywhere, Dale. Anywhere. It's just a, just a matter of where you can go, you know. I mean, I'm hoping we visit relatives down at Songclair at some point and get to some football there or Hattie and places like that. So, yeah, it doesn't bother me as a neutral. It's, I mean, when I lived in England, I'd, I'd go to Germany and watch non-league. I think it's good, isn't it, when you can combine it with other things. And again, talking to Phil, that's what he does very well, I think. My wife's not particularly a football... Well, she isn't a football fan, but I used to drag her all over the country because she'd be interested in visiting different places. And my main excuse for being there was the football. But we'd spend a couple of days, maybe stop off somewhere on the way there or the way back. And as you say, you know, you, you can make a nice trip out of it, can't you? I, th- I think it's very important because if you're going a long way, don't rely on watching a classic in Thailand. The whole day is the is your thing. And it always has been to me. You know, the game's just 90 minutes to fill in in the middle of the day, really. You want to see a good match, but you're unlikely to, aren't you? You know, T1, there's been some crackers this season. Really enjoyed it. But generally, if you make it just part of your day, that little couple of hours around 5 o'clock or 3.30, and then have a nice lunch somewhere different, and then go out at night and adventure, you've... You'll have a great day out. And it's just a little conversation piece in the middle. And go to nice places, your other arse over the mill. That's a great approach. Yeah, that's that's the way to come at it, I think, definitely. Anyway, talking of people travelling to games, we've had a couple of reports from the AFC Asian Cup, courtesy of Jan. And Jan was lucky enough to be at the tournament. He's back in England now. So I sat down and had this chat about his experiences in Doha watching Thailand and a few other matches at the AFC Asian Cup. Thai Football Podcast. Interview. 
It's my pleasure to introduce now someone who's no stranger to the podcast, but he's come on this time with a story to tell. It's Jan. Hi, Jan. Hi, Dale. How are you? Very happy that I got to see those Thailand games in Qatar. A bit tired, a bit sad to have left, happy that it happened, feeling a lot right now. What a fantastic experience. It must have been brilliant. Yeah, the football side was was brilliant. Seeing Thailand get the results we needed was brilliant and being part of the traveling Thai group or Thai group of fans comprised mostly of locals who live there and just coming out to support the team. It was fantastic to be part of it. Like, like I said in the review of the Oman game, it was unlike any other Thailand atmosphere I'd ever seen because it was sort of very organic and yeah, it was just very unique. So just to clear something up, you're now back in England. You were traveling back from Thailand via Qatar. Was that always yep. part of the plan to stop and watch some of the matches? Yeah, that was always the plan. So I, I looked at it with a friend who also was coming coming through and we were like, okay, if we fire back via Qatar, we can get a week this week in, which is the first week of term, but we'll, you know, we'll skip. We'll be bad. We'll be bad students for a week and we can get two games in. And Qatar had a thing that they have a, a scheme where you fly on one ticket and you can delay the layover to watch the tournament it's a thing that Qatar always do that's how they encourage tourism that they allow you to delay your layover for multiple days so you're traveling to the UK on one ticket but you're spending multiple days in Doha okay fantastic then we can go to Doha with no extra flight cost pretty much and the only thing to worry about is really the hotel and tickets cost which was tickets were very reasonable hotel was a bit expensive because Thailand is one of a few countries where if you're a citizen you have to book through Qatari government hotels in order to qualify for visa on arrival so that that made a bit more expensive but overall in terms of the timing and the location it worked out really well that it, it was sort of on the way for us anyway so it was quite good how easy was it getting match tickets did you have to do that in advance or could you get them at the stadium on the day oh so they do not sell match tickets on the stadium at the day at all my friend handled the ticketing we did it online there was a very long queue for tickets months couple months ago actually there was already a queue for tickets online but I think those those queues are mainly for Qatar Saudi games maybe India games there's a lot of locals there so we, we were able to get tickets I think it was about 40 real so 400 baht for a, the, the category 3 ticket when we when we went to get it so that's the cheapest category ticket of 400 baht back when we got them which was quite a good deal and actually if you get a match ticket or public transit in Qatar is free on days when you have a match day ticket so that even makes it even more value for money It sounds a good system I guess having hosted a World Cup, this is quite easy for them, isn't it? As important as the tournament is, obviously it's not on the same scale as a World Cup. So I guess everything's already in place. Yeah, so that's the interesting thing. So that's a that's a good uh, starting point. The infrastructure for crowd control is very developed, but it's it was the most over-policed experience I've ever had in my life. The whole country is extremely over-policed, but especially the match day experience. Every few meters, there is a, a policeman, not even scared of, a policeman standing there at the ground watching you the entire time. During the Oman game, as I mentioned in my recap, we were sitting, we were standing at the back row of the stadium, not blocking anybody. And and we were still told to sit down because you were causing a ruckus. In a football stadium, it almost felt like outside the designated ultra zones, they wanted us to be calm and civil. And I'm like, that's not why you come to football games. You know, if you if you want a calm and civil environment, stay on your couch. I, I was really riled up by this because the Omanis had a designated cheer group and they, they got to do, you know, whatever they wanted. But the few ties scattered on the ground trying to yell and compensate for it were told to shut up pretty much. We got dirty looks.
looks from the crowd and the security guards were on their side. The experience was extremely over-policed. Even like walking, like like we can be walking down a street, the security guards are lining the side of the street. And if you walk outside the security guards line, they're going to whistle at you until you come back in. It's an extremely over-policed experience. I don't know what they were expecting. I don't know who they thought would cause trouble for them, but it was extremely heavy-handed. Every game had um, uh, gates you walk through and then they take the metal detector and sort of scan you down. And they just made over the smallest things, they give you the biggest headache. So yeah, infrastructure for card control was good, but it, they just used it to just make it like a like a prison camp at times, man, walking around those stadiums. But yeah, I don't want to over-exaggerate it as well, to be fair. Sounds a bit like my experience in Buriram with the umbrella. I was saying it's like Buriram on, on steroids, frankly. It, it is. It's, it's like Buriram, but worse crazy there's no reason to suspect there'll be any trouble there is there i mean i suppose they've, they've got to be careful but i don't think there's any real cause i don't think they, this tournament's got a history of of trouble has it no it hasn't my take is that they just want to justify their employment of the cops frankly a, a lot of things in doha and i'm going to try to say this nicely have to really work hard to justify their existence so doha is a city of about less than two million people so qatar is always over two million people a little bit over that and doha has 80 percent of the population so so that makes it about one-fifth, one-sixth the size of Greater Bangkok. And it has so many tall buildings, which stand mostly empty for the sake of having tall buildings because they want to be a city with tall buildings. So um, we were in the West, staying in the West Bay area, which is where most of the players were staying. Most of the hotels are in that area. And there was just every building was like a skyscraper. Like the shortest building on the block had like 50 floors. And most of these buildings stood empty. We would walk down the street of West Bay around noon, complete ghost town. Like large swaths of, of Qatar just seem like a ghost town. There are parts of Qatar that are super lively and super energetic, which I'll come on to. But a lot of the infrastructure of Doha seems very gratuitous because they want to make it look sort of grand and, and cool. And that doesn't strike me as something I like in terms of city design. I, I, I love Bangkok because it's got both. You know, you've got your tall sort of opulent buildings and all this, but you've also got the culture and every corner the street side shops the the hustle and bustle of the city that's all missing in doha so especially relative to to like my reference points of london and bangkok doha seemed very quiet and laid back but there were things about doha that were great so one thing is um the sukwakif which is like this uh market in the middle of doha and every night the teams that played in the games their fans would come out and throw a big party in in the souk which was fantastic to attend that was a part like genuinely good part of sort of middle eastern and qatari football culture that came out in, in this tournament which was was quite nice and the Doha Metro is fantastic because it covers the city very well takes you to everywhere you want to go reasonably priced but it has a first class the Doha Metro has a first class cabin only in in, in the Middle East with a with a metro system and a first class cabin is really it's really weird so you're talking about the fans coming out at night did they have designated fan zones or was this purely spontaneous so there were fan zones which were sort of leftover vestiges of the World Cup it felt and those were not very crowded. The Sukwaki, what I liked about it was it's purely organic. It's actually like the main market in Doha. It's like like Siam Square or something like this. It was just like, it's a market of stalls and shops that's always bustling, you know. It's more like Bangkok Chinatown, you know. Yeah, we're at. It's more like that. 
but middle in the Middle East, it's all walking. There's no cars allowed in it, so it's all these walking streets. People just come and congregate, and every night the BN Sports camera and the all the Qatari TV cameras would be there, and the fans of teams that are played there would go there and celebrate, get interviewed by the cameras and all this, which was great. We were not there for it, but I believe the Malaysian ultras really rocked the place. They all turned up full, and it was an all Arab and all Middle Eastern party until the Malaysians showed up and really made the place their own one night. I didn't. We weren't there in person. I wish we were, but we we heard about it. That was the part of Doha of what the Middle Eastern football culture that really came through was celebrating in Sukhwakif at night after the games. Sounds fantastic. And you've mentioned the architecture, so that leads us nicely onto the the stadiums. Hmm. What what were your impressions? How many how many did you get to to start with? How many grounds did you actually see games in? All right, let me count properly. So we went to seven games. I'm gonna list them out so I don't miss any stadiums. So we went to obviously Thailand versus Kyrgyzstan in the Abdullah bin Khalifa Stadium and the same stadium for Oman and Thailand. Then we went to India versus Uzbekistan at the Ahmad bin Ali Stadium. Then we went to Japan versus Iraq at Education City Stadium. Vietnam versus Indonesia again at Abdullah bin Khalifa Stadium. Jordan versus South Korea at Al Tumama Stadium in Doha. Bahrain versus Malaysia at Jasim bin Hamad Stadium. So about the stadiums, I am very hesitant to be complimentary of the World Cup stadiums for two reasons. One is because if you are a country like Qatar that runs on oil money, that you can basically pour infinite amounts of money into a stadium project that no local authority in in the UK or Thailand would ever fund, that obviously gives you an edge in making nicer stadiums. And two, the stadiums were built by people who were held in very poor conditions and severely underpaid. And I recommend anybody to read up Amnesty International's reports on the conditions of migrant workers in Qatar. With that, I don't want to be overly complimentary of the stadiums. But I have to be honest, the stadiums are nice. What else could they be? When they're funded by endless amounts of oil money, they have to be nice. You know, that's how it happens. Of the stadiums, Abdullah bin Khalifa and Jasim bin Hamad are not World Cup stadiums. So Abdullah bin Khalifa is Al Duhail's stadium and the other one, Jasim bin Hamad, is Al Saad Stadium. They're both the perfect size for a club team that attracts around four to six to seven thousand fans a game. They're compact. You're right there on top of the action. It makes that atmosphere really nice and these are stadiums that are used in the local game of the world cup stadiums both ahmed bin ali and altamama impressed me because when you enter the stadium at ground level or you climb a few steps you pretty much enter onto the top of the bottom tier so there's not much climbing to do because this the pitch itself is under the ground level so you enter the ground at the bottom you don't have to climb any steps and you're at the top of the of the first tier and they both have two tiers with a vip tier in the middle so that makes navigability very easy and they're very large concourse so you never feel like you're in a jam at any point in the stadium. The concourses are large, lots of entrances and exits, wide passageways, nice places to walk. And okay, the one best thing about Qatari fan culture, there's no beer at the grounds. There is hot Indian tea, there's hot chai at every ground and hot coffee. That was great, getting hot chai at every stadium. You've mentioned the conditions that the workers were in when they were building the stadiums. And this was a huge issue before the World Cup. How did you actually feel about this? Did, did you have any qualms about going yes. there? Because the, there are other issues as well with Qatar. We we all know what they are, or hopefully everybody knows what they are. But did you have any qualms about visiting? And, and was this something that you were very conscious of whilst you were there? 
Yes, absolutely. I talked about it and consulted with people. So people who I respect a lot, like teachers who had taught in Qatar and people who had been to Qatar. And I sort of asked myself about it. So it was a moral quandary for me. There's also a part of me that thinks like the only way to gain an understanding of how a society is, is to go there and see it. So I was paying very close attention to different parts of Qatar society as I was there. One thing I noticed is that basically none of the workers at the supermarkets or the malls or the shops are Arabs. All the Arabs live very well. All the workers are Indian or Filipino or from East Africa, I believe. Things like this, seeing that in person is an educational experience. And I think that to have an informed opinion, you need to educate yourself. And if going there educates yourself, that's one thing to do. Of course, this is all high-minded nonsense. And I want to watch Thailand. I want to cheer Thailand. That's the most important thing for me. That's potentially a moral failing to some people. But that's that's how it is. I love my Thailand national team and I want to be there for it. That's brought us nicely back to the football. Come on then, Thailand. What were your impressions of the performances and where do you think they can go from here? How far can we get in this tournament? Okay, so we've been good. We haven't been great. The thing I've enjoyed about our performances is that we've proved a lot of people wrong. So we were very severely underestimated by the West Asian teams. That is to say, like the fans at the ground and the experts on Twitter, every Everybody from West Asia thought you were going to really struggle. Are there any experts on Twitter? Aren't we, aren't we all just people with too much time on our hands? Yeah, pretty. I'd say that. I'd say that. Yeah. So anyways, all everybody in West Asia thought we were a joke. I saw a lot of predictions saying that pretty much all of the ASEAN teams are going home very quickly. And we've been able to prove them wrong. I feel we were defiant. I feel like our mentality is good where we haven't been as slick in our play. We've made up for it with our fighting spirit. And that's been great to see because that's usually a weakness for us. And it was a it was has been a strength for this squad so far. Hopefully by the time this goes up, our qualification to the last 16 will be confirmed. I think it probably should be by the time this podcast goes up. Our likely opponents, I believe, are either Iraq if we come third or Uzbekistan if we come second. But there is a chance we also face either Iran coming third or we even face Australia. Australia coming second if Uzbekistan managed to beat Australia. So of those teams, I think Iraq is potentially the most beatable. I know they beat Japan, but they did that by sitting in a very deep block. And to my mind, the man of the match was former Buramiana defender Rebin Sulaka. So I think if we force them to play and come at them with the same template as as Oman, then they're beatable. I think Iran are too good. They might, might even be the favourites to win it. I think Uzbekistan are fantastic. I don't see us getting past them. And of course, Australia are fantastic. So if we get a favourable draw, quarterfinals are possible. So yeah, round of 16 seems like the hurdle we'll fall at, but I'm still hoping we can go on better than last year and get in the quarterfinals. I think what we've achieved so far is has given us a bit of confidence and a bit of hope, really, hasn't it? I know you were nervous ahead of the Oman game, but surely you feel you must be feeling a lot better now. Yeah, the Oman game was very cathartic because we just sort of got really mad at the opposing fans for underestimating us the entire game. I almost lost my voice yelling and screaming at the at everything I game, the ref, the opposing fans, the team. So yeah, I feel great after that, and I, I I'm I'm very happy with how the team set up and it and the fact that we are able to hold out for a nil nil and we haven't conceded all tournament that is fantastic as well I think that's something we're all quite pleased about isn't it the defensive record yeah I mean Bati Wat Mike in goal has been fantastic 
league. You know, I think he made a few errors when he called up a friendly time under Mano. But I said at the time, like, the only way you can become a top keeper is to learn from your mistakes. And he's learned because he's done everything fantastic. You know, his ability to gauge risk when coming to catch a cross or coming to sweep in behind the defense. He nailed it every time. I, I don't think he made a single mistake this tournament. And it's just incredible. It's it's sad. He's already to, already 29 and he's coming through finding his best at this age. But keepers can last for a long time. I hope he's our keeper for many years to come. Yeah, I, I certainly echo that sentiment. So just before I let you go, because you, you must be absolutely shattered. What has been the highlight of the tournament for you? It doesn't necessarily have to be football. It can be just something that happened on the trip. But the thing that you will remember most for the rest of your life. Oh, well, I'd say every moment at both the Thailand games, I remember for the rest of my life. But I have a short story to tell. After the Kyrgyzstan game on the way back, I was on the bus and I was sitting next to this Algerian guy and he, he'd come to watch Thailand versus Kyrgyzstan. So we started talking. He asked me where I was from and I said Thailand. And as always, when I say this, I get the same reaction. Well, really? You, you don't look Thai. You know, you're not, you mean, are you really Thai? This is the reaction I always get. I'm used to dealing with it, but it, it does sort of bother me a little bit from time to time but I'm used to dealing with it but for a change I responded to him and I said that yeah well my parents are born in Thailand I'm born in Thailand I'm a Thai citizen like what else do you want you know I have no connection to any other country the only thing I have is Thailand and then I explained that and I talked about the national team and after we chat he says from the way you talk about your 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 national football team I can tell your heart is 100% Thai and that kind of made my week actually it just made me feel really happy and it was like a really offhand comment and the guy had no idea how much it meant to me but it, it really meant a lot and yeah made my trip that much better I guess I think we all feel very proud at the moment I think it's it's great to see Thailand doing so well and let's just keep our fingers crossed that we can keep this going and keep the feel good factor going as well it'd be nice wouldn't it yeah I think it makes a difference to young fans even young players sitting at home watching, seeing what their seniors are doing, how hard they're fighting. I think it helps. And I think that there's potentially a dawn coming for Thai football. I do really believe that. And on that note, on that positive note, I think I'll let you go. Get some much needed sleep, Jan. And thank you so much. Really appreciate the two reports you've sent in and, and you coming pretty much straight off the plane to do this as well today. Thank you. Are you going to subscribe? We've, we've got to subscribe here to watch it. Um, I've been holding off because you get a, a free seven days. So I was waiting for the end of the group stage. And then I'm going to yeah. subscribe before the knockout. Yeah, that was my thing as well. I was going to wait until the end of the group stage, but I really want to watch Indonesia versus Japan. So I might have to bite in and go for that. All right. Well, like I say, thanks so much. And off you go and get some much needed rest now, mate. You deserve it. All right. Thank you. What came across from Jam was just how enthusiastic he was and how much he enjoyed it. Oh, it's great to hear. You can hear it in his voice, as you say. And, and I have to say on the pitch, Thailand were absolutely magnificent. Now, I'm not a big fan of the way she went about getting the employment or uh, the bloke who employed him. But you've got to say, his tactics are incredibly good and well-suited to that team. They obviously listened to him. They wouldn't have played like that under Mano last night. No way. They were excellent. They defended like Trojans and kept the shape. And they looked dangerous on the break. I think if they could have snuck it, that would have been the perfect result. But it now looks like they're going to qualify. So that's something to be pleased about. We've spoken on this podcast and there seemed to be an air of sort of doom and gloom surrounding the preparation. But as you say, they've they've risen to the occasion very much so. And I had a little Twitter conversation with Mika, who's been on this show before, and he's predicting they'll get to the last eight, which would be fantastic, really. I mean, that's probably as, as good as they can expect, isn't it? 
I'm not sure. You know, you get on a roll. I've got all my hands up, Dell. I've completely shocked me. I, I didn't give them a chance of getting out of the group with what's gone on. But they have been magnificent in both games. In fact, last night was a far better performance than the win earlier in the week. And as you say, the clean sheets, that's a huge oh, thing at this level, isn't it? Massive. Just out of interest, we're in quite a busy bar watching it in Surin last night. And you'd say it'd be premium football supporting ages, you know, 20, 30, one or two in their early 40s. Our little gaggle were by far the oldest in there, the three of us. But we were the only ones watching it. Everyone else was just chatting away, eating and drinking and, and watching the band. There must have been seven or eight tellies in the bar. I bet we were the only three who were watching it. I wonder why that was. What what kind of bar was it, Rob? It was a beer, food and music. But they had tellies everywhere. They have the tellies on every Premier game. You know, they started off showing the West Ham Sheffield United game and then the turnover for the tie game and there was plenty of lads in there and nobody was watching the football you'd think that would be prime age wouldn't you that's quite astonishing maybe it's just the wrong part of town maybe if you'd have gone somewhere else you'd have seen hundreds of people watching it on big screens I don't know I honestly don't know but I found it very interesting and and quite sad in a way I stayed at the worst hotel I've ever been in in Surin. We stopped off, we were on the way up to Buriram, I think, and somebody recommended this cheap hotel, and it was like being in prison. There were no windows, the beds were solid concrete. Honestly, it was like a scene from Porridge. I was half expecting Mr Barraclough to pop in in the morning, or Mr Mackay to bark his orders down the corridors. It was grim. I'd love to be able to remember the name of the place, but I've I've wiped it from my memory, I think. I remember my mate Steve who covers uh, some games in T3 for us in Bangkok, and the old Grace Hotel on site when he won, and he he says, I've tried to save you some money. I opened the door and I was in the underground car park. That, That would be a great podcast, I think. Grim Hotels in Thailand. There's one or two, isn't there? <laughs> there are, yeah, certainly. I'll give that There's, some thought. There are some very good ones as well, to put the record straight. Oh, there are some lovely hotels, yeah. But people don't want to hear about that. They want to hear about your bad experiences, don't they? Which is why they tune into this programme. Listen to me moaning about Cesar formation. Anyway, is there anything else you want to say about the AFC Asian Cup before we finish? If they can somehow get a draw against Saudi on Thursday, that'd be magnificent, wouldn't it? I'm enjoying the games generally, Dale. I think it's been a real eye-opener to me. I thought it was going to pass me by. But especially at those 6.30 games. That was a shame, by the way, the opening match for Thailand. Playing that at 9.30, it was Teachers' Day in Thailand, so all the schools were shut. It's not Thailand's fault, obviously, but if it had been on the tea time slot here, the amount of kids who would have watched that with the day off. And that's your next generation of fans, isn't it? Unfortunately, it's getting very little coverage over here in the UK. The AFCON tournament's obviously getting far more. It's on the TV. There's a lot more interest. So it's it's quite a shame, really, because I think, you know, people underestimate Asian football. Oh, definitely. And some of the stadiums, Dale, I think they've been downgraded from the World Cup, haven't they? They've, they've cut the capacities down. But some of them are breathtaking. I'm really envious of Gian. Good on him. Good on him. I hope he goes to some on the way back. Yeah, I think it'll have finished by the time he's returned returning to Thailand. Oh, what a shame. If Thailand reach the final, get yourself there, Jan. If they get to the final, I think we're all going, aren't we? Oh, no, no, no. No, 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 no. Don't you'll be tempting me. I'm sure you could persuade your wife. You could tell her there's plenty to see and do over there, apart from football. That'd be great. Just my visa to worry about. (laughs) Right, so there we go. We'll leave it there. Thanks to everyone for listening and huge thanks to Jan. Really appreciate him taking the time to come in and chat. And what an experience. 
Fingers crossed for Thailand. Hopefully they can progress, give us a bit more to talk about. In the meantime, if you're going to watch T2 or T3 or semi-pro football, enjoy it. Yeah, get out there, folks. And it's not just about the 90 minutes. Make a day of it. Have good fun. Meet new people. They're so friendly people at Thai football. They love meeting Farangs. Have fun wherever you are. (laughs) 